Hello, my friend. Welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashpitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Dr. Rachel McGuire joins the show today, and Dr. Rachel is a board-certified clinical specialist in orthopedics, and we have a brilliant conversation about self-love, the importance of movement, and how we can really flourish as human beings. And in other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So go ahead and click the link in the show notes, scroll through all their products, and see which ones might work best for you and your health goals. Then at checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 188 of Something for Everybody with Dr. Rachel McGuire. Hello and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashpitz. I'm Rachel McGuire. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, and I'm excited to just pick your brain. Ready to be picked. Yeah. You know, you uh, you just recently became a doctor. Yes, I got my graduated my doctor of physical therapy from Northwestern University in 2020. No, that's not that recent. <laughs> I thought it was recent for some reason. I Why did I think that? did get my, so I then went on and did a um, residency in orthopedic physical therapy, uh, yeah. which finished in 2021. Okay. The year after that, I sat for and passed the um, board test for, to be a clinical specialist in orthopedic physical therapy. So that was new about a year ago. Okay. And then my latest new toy is dry needling. So as of spring of this year, I um, got the credentials to be able to put needles into muscles to make people feel and move better. So always learning and growing. But yeah, I've been at this professionally for three years now. Yeah, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so before I ask you all of that, I mean, yes. you have a few topics that you came to me that you want to discuss, and yes. I love them. So we're going to talk about that. But of course, I have to ask you a very important question of like, how are you doing? Actually, how are you doing? I love that question. Um, I'm pretty good right now. Yeah. I just had a birthday and I always look at this passage of time as an opportunity to reflect on what my life has been and set an intention, set a focus for what my life will be in the upcoming year. And it was really special to this time, look back at like all the growth and experience and joy of this last year and um, really sit down and like meditate on what I want to focus on in the upcoming year. So that's been nice to start to live in that over the last couple of weeks. Mm. Okay, give me some one or two things that you felt like you 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 really grew in, you'd really developed, you're really proud of yourself for making it to this point. Yeah, this point, this past year, just my yeah. life thus far. As the last year, self-love was big for me. Mm. So um, recognizing that I can only be as good in my friendships and my romantic relationships um, in so many aspects of life as I could be to myself. Um, and I think going through all the school I went to to do what I do, and I was very good in that academic environment, but it's so set on external validation, external validation. 
And so when you're hopping through all those hoops of ex external validation, it's easy. And then I got to the end and I said, what now? And I realized I had to really find some source of internal validation. So that was like the big progress I could see over the last year. It's like, I really found some good self-love and that was beautiful. Yeah. I think a lot about self-love. It's an interesting topic because like it's on the internet a lot. So I think that makes it sort of a hot button thing. Yeah. And a lot of people that's like their go-to response for sort of everything. It's like a catch-all. Like you just need to love yourself. Well, like, yes, that yes, the answer to that is yes. But like, how do I do it? What does that mean? What does it look like? like yeah, exactly. And if, and, practically? If, and if I am a person right now who sits in this world and I absolutely despise myself, someone coming to me and be like, just love yourself. That <laughs> seems like fuck off. Yeah. Is that, is yeah. Right? yeah. you know? But I also think like people get the idea misconstrued is that I, if I have self-love for myself, it doesn't mean I love all of myself all of the time. Absolutely not. That's really not possible. Mm -hmm. But I, I have a, you know, when you love something, it means you're actively taking care of it. Absolutely. So I think, I think about that when I think self-love and I'll think about you're, you're, you're looking out for your future self. And so it doesn't mean that every part of me right now is perfect or I love it. Mm -hmm. I'm still actively trying to work on it but I can appreciate this body, this mind that I've developed. So if you're someone like who really, really hates themselves, like ignore the, just love yourself and say to yourself, okay, maybe there's one thing right now about me that I don't actually hate that might be all right. Mm -hmm. And if you can start from that small point, like maybe you really like the way your hands look on a, when you wear a ring. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's something, cause I think my hands look pretty cool in a ring, right? Whatever, <laughs> maybe you do too, Yeah. right? That's maybe something super random that you wouldn't have thought about, but you can find one little thing, like maybe anything, right? Or maybe your friend told you yesterday that you have a good sense of humor and you're mm -hmm. like thinking about that, like, no, I'm not that funny, but I don't laugh. Like, Try to own that and yeah. then work from there because that the it's it's a it's a long road. Like someone saying that I hate myself to I love myself, that's like sprinting across America in like one day. It's just not it's not gonna happen. But there's a path. Small like actionable here, chunks, you know, which is, that you can chip away at. Exactly, which is totally. which is what we're gonna talk about. Habits and all it all boils down to the same thing. Yeah. So I really love the idea of someone loving themselves. Yeah. Like that's beautiful. It's magical. But it doesn't happen just by someone telling you, you should love yourself. And it's not even something that you can look in the mirror one time and say, I love you, I love me, you know? Like right. it's not that simple, um, but I think I like the way that you make it actionable of how to start is find one thing that you can, find a place that you can start and then find a small reasonable habit goal that you can build around that mm -hmm. and then just steadily expand from there. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, one of the pieces of advice I got when I was working on that over the last couple of years was um, come up with a list of five genuine compliments you could give yourself. Mm. That's nice. Yeah. Okay. And even, I think, I would hope that most people would be able to, yeah, find five small things. And compliments also isn't like, you're the best person in the entire world. Yeah. It can be like, you always acknowledge me when you walk into a room. Right. Like, That's cool. What does that signify? What about that is important to me? Oh, I really invest in my relationships. Oh, I'm an empathetic person. Oh, the fact that I can be loving to other people, let me practice that love in on myself so that you can find ways to build. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, like 
you always say thank you when someone opens the door for you. Yeah. That's a, that's a compliment. Yeah. You know, that's a good, that's a really good place to start. Yeah. If you can write down, you know, one, two, three, four or five. Yeah. And then build off of that. That's a good place to start trying to actively love and take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else did you learn about reflecting over the last year? Goodness. Um, I think a lot of purpose and like what I want the direction, what, what I want the path of my life to be. And it's interesting as we start this conversation, because I've been doing this for three years, which is not no time, but not a long time. And I have had moments in these three years where I say like, is this what I want to keep doing in my life? Because there's a lot of tough moments. There's a lot of tight time balance constraints. There's a lot of, I give a lot of myself to my patients and my work. And so I did have a sit down of saying like, hey, you worked really hard for this. You really have a passion for it. Is this going to be the best way to get yourself to a meaningful and contented life? Mm. And right now my answer is yes. And so that's fun. But it was funny. I think I've been really afraid to even ask myself that question because I'd invested so much in getting to this point. Because what if it was now? Right. And so I took a step back a couple months ago and I said, okay, I really have to, I have to be open to the answer being anything. I need to ask myself this question, sit with it, move with it, let myself simmer with it for a while and truly be open to whatever answer I get back. And it was really funny because I think I didn't ask myself for a while because I was afraid the answer was going to be, we got to leave. Mm. And almost as soon as I truly opened myself up to the potential of saying, Hey, that might be the answer. I immediately like that next week in work. saw a million things. I was like, I can't live without this. I love this so much. Like this means so much to me. Mm. And so then that opens up the next chapter of, well, how do I keep doing this in a way that makes me live a happy, fulfilled, contented life, knowing that this, at least at this phase of my life is my purpose. Um, so we're going to get into that. I think a bit more as well, which is yeah. really fun. Yeah. I want to know why, why you became a physical therapist. So it's a good question. I definitely didn't have the typical path that I think a lot of people have, which I should also say. So within physical therapy, there's a lot of subcategorizations of types of therapists you can be. The largest of which is just kind of what body system, organ system are you working with? And I work in orthopedics. And so if you sat down with somebody who works um, more like cardiopulm, acute care, they are probably gonna have a lot of different insights and perspective than I would if you work, sit down and talk with somebody who works with mostly neurological dysfunction. Again, a lot of different perspectives. But for the field that I'm in, which is orthopedics, um, a lot of people come to the field by having been injured and having gone to a physical therapist and thought that, that was pretty cool and that was their entree. Yeah, um, it always seems like a personal story like that drives you into a certain field. Yeah, and I was kind of like self-conscious at first in physical therapy that I didn't have that story. Um, I had always enjoyed science, especially like biological science in school. My bachelor's is in biochemistry. I really like understanding how living systems work um, and front, and I also love working with people and just some very much an extrovert get energy from interpersonal relationships, um, and interactions. And so with that, I said, well, I'm going to become a doctor because that's what you do when you're smart and you like biology and <laughs> you're good people. Um, and the more I shadowed and learned about some of the specific subspecialties in medicine, the more I said, well, that doesn't sound like me. And that doesn't sound like me. And that doesn't sound like me now. 15 years later, with all the insight of life that I've had since then, I've realized that 
even if you don't know what your finish line is when you're at the start, you don't need to know what your finish line is. You just want to know the direction you're running in. So I probably could have stayed on that path and be in a profession I would love very much. Mm. But I said, well, I need to find a different profession then. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I had the good fortune of being from um, a place in Oregon that has a lot of great physical therapists and um, a family friend had known one of them. And I got to spend the summer shadowing an absolutely expert master of his craft, still the best therapist I've really had the chance to work with in my life. I got to shadow him doing orthopedic PT. And within a week, I thought this was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And this is exactly what I want to do. And I went through all the steps after that. And that is now today what I do. And I think that in the right setting it is still the coolest thing in the entire world. And I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the mission statement. Yes. Can okay. you share the mission statement? Yes. So the um, I'm going to pull it up from the APTA website to make sure I quote it specifically. I did not come up with this. Um, the governing body for all physical therapists in America is the American Physical Therapy Association. And our vision statement for the profession of physical therapy is to transform society by optimizing movement to improve the human experience. Gorgeous. So cool. And it's so cool because it Well, one, I love that they've added in the transforming society component, because if you have a lot of people living optimally, that's not just going to impact them, their immediate circle, that's going to have larger influence. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it also talks about the importance that so much of movement, posture, loading our bodies are influenced by society. And so we have to have a bi-directional relationship with society between the person and society Mm -hmm. and society and the person. Um, And... It can just apply in so many different ways. I think it's so beautiful. And I'm so excited to hear your thoughts and dissect it a little bit more. You know what uh, quote immediately pops into my head when I hear that? Yeah. Is it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Hmm. That's That's what comes to my head. Yeah. And so like transforming your body and learning how to move properly and then doing that movement regularly is sort of like counterculture almost. It's a rebellion against against the, norms. the sort of sedentary lifestyle that uh, majority of people have. Um, you know, that majority of people do in their lives. Yeah. So I like that quote a lot because it just like it, it makes sense. You know, but you're working with a population who is trying to get back to their best selves. Mm-hmm. But also, once they do, they now learn the movement patterns to be able to then keep themselves in that shape moving forward. And totally. you hope that they do that. And then that sort of has a domino effect to other people in your life. Because you know, Absolutely. if like you start just like crushing it, your friends are like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, and then they're like, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should do that. If you have the right friends. And it's funny you say that because there's, that's a big source of referrals for me. I will get my first patient from with a doctor's prescription um, for a specific rehab from a a surgery they've had, rehab from a fall they've had. I was doing X activity and I hurt my knee, my back, my shoulder, et cetera. So that's the normal entry point to orthopedic physical therapy for a lot of people. But I've had a lot of instances where I then see that same patient back in the future because with the tools that we gave them to go through that rehabilitation process, they then introspected and said, hey, wait a second, I think I'm probably not optimizing my movement in these settings in my life. Mm. And I wonder how much better my life could be 
if I was able to do those things. So I will see people back for things like age-related sarcopenia is something I will um, instruct Can you explain them. what that is? Yeah. So um, a lot of this, I'm going to probably talk a lot about the way and environment that humans involved in, because I think that we think about normal human bodily functions in the context of the society and culture we live in right now. But our current moment with having desk jobs and cell phones and cars mm -hmm. and 40 hour a week jobs, 40 plus hour a week jobs has only existed for a hundred years. Having houses that you live in has only existed for a couple thousand years of human history. Human history really, and human evolution has been taking place for so long in circumstances that look so different than what we live in today that whenever we're having an issue or problem with our body, I think oftentimes contextualizing it in, well, what were we designed for? What did we evolve in? What, what did we get good at for the majority of the time that we've existed? And so what age-related sarcopenia is, is that as we age, particularly past the fourth decade of life, we start to lean, lose lean muscle mass unless we are actively doing things to maintain it. So even if you are maintaining your same amount of activity, you're still getting your 10,000 steps a day, um, you go to yoga class once a week and whatnot, if you are not doing um, resistive exercise to build strength, mm. you will lose lean body mass. Or maybe you are doing that, but you're not getting your nutrition right to be able to support um, continued maintenance of muscle tissue. Muscle tissue is highly, highly metabolic tissue, which means there's a large cost to us to have a lot of muscle tissue. So we have to spend a lot of energy maintaining it. For the large majority of human history, energy was not easily accessible. And so the tissues that burn the most energy, our body tries to get rid of the most quickly. Now that's brain and muscle. Mm. We can't really get rid of most of our nervous system tissue. That's highly optimized to have the least amount we need to be able to do all the functions we do. And we use it all constantly. So we can't really get rid of any brain tissue. So what are we going to get rid of? We're going to get rid of muscle tissue. Mm. So past the fourth decade of life, you are going to start losing muscle tissue. And unfortunately, we tend to only see the consequences of that once people are a lot further along. So an typical person is going to have lost at least 50% of their lean body mass by the time they're 80 if they have not been doing resistive exercise. 50%. Now that results then in, I can't stand up from a couch. I can't stand up from a chair without using my arms. I'm having falls. Nothing, nothing changed in my status or lifestyle, but all of a sudden I can't do the things I need to do. Well, you've been slowly losing lean body mass over the years and decades and that's now gotten you into a perilous position that's impacting every other organ system and body system and very well could be the beginning of the end of your life yeah um and so i'll get people in early on and i'll say you're not strong you've probably not been not strong for a while i'm here to rehab this part of your body so and from an insurance perspective i'm limited to really only rehabbing that, that specific mm-hmm but I'll say, if they still finish their rehab, their ankle's feeling better, they can do their job, they can this, that, and the other, but they're still concerned about the strength that they have, even though they're back at their baseline. I'll say, talk to your primary care doctor, see if they'll write a prescription for um, age-related sarcopenia, come back to see me. Our whole objective of that course of care is to be able to get you to find a routine where you can do resistive exercise to build up your body and set you up for long-term health and wellness. Um, and then when they come into me with that being their prescription, then we can build from there and structure that whole course of care around 
Let's find a way that you realistically in your lifestyle can be doing resistive exercise. Let's find a way for you to know how to use these pieces of equipment. Maybe you know that you don't have the accountability to do on your own. Let's find resources in the community to get you to a group exercise class. Maybe you know that you're uncomfortable in the traditional environment with like weights. Okay, there's other ways that we can build up strength. Let's find a body weight routine exercise yeah. or that is going to work for you. Let's find resources for you to be able to build on that on your own into the future. So that's that's like a fun part of my job that I get to do sometimes. Yeah, because then you have the sort of the the leeway to actually work on the full system. Yeah. Instead of the, I mean, obviously you're healing the body part that they came in to get fixed, which mm-hmm. is probably very rewarding in itself. Yeah. But then have someone come back to say, you know, help me with everything mm-hmm. else, basically. Or to your point earlier, I get their husband, I get their neighbor, I get somebody mm-hmm. else, and they say, oh, well, I've been having this pain for five years, and I just thought it was normal. I didn't really think there was much I could do about it. But so-and-so gave you glowing reviews and I wanted to kind of take a swing at it and see if I can now live a better life by improving my movement and the way my body moves and postures. And like, those are such cool referrals. They're challenging for me because oftentimes they make me think outside the box because it's not the typical context that people were taught to seek PT in. Right. But it is so cool to see multiple different family members, people at multiple different phases of their life and see that they really are transforming their life and their communities through moving better. Yeah. That's the coolest job in the entire world. <clears throat> I follow this guy named uh, Kelly Sturette. Yes, he's awesome. Oh, you follow yeah. him? Yeah. He's incredible. And I was looking at his new book, uh, Built to Move. Yes. And he has like these top 10. I don't know all 10. I only know two of them. But one of them is being able to, you're standing up and then you go into like a, uh, crisscross mm-hmm. applesauce or whatever it's called and then you stand back and up. and how many points of contact you need to get from that position yeah. to up. so basically without yeah. using anything you're just yeah. like sitting down standing up no yeah. hands nothing that was like one of his if you can do that you're moving you're good. pretty good and if you can do the old man balance test which What's is like balance test? uh <clears throat> both your shoes and socks are on the ground and you balance on one leg you put your sock on you put your shoe on, you tie your shoe, and you go to the other leg. You bounce on the other leg. You put the other shoe, the sock and shoe on. Love that. Yeah. So he was like, because he originally, I don't know if you know his history, but he was originally like basically working with like super elite athletes. Yeah, he was he was one of the big early CrossFit guys. Yeah, and his wife is also awesome, and they're both beasts. Aren't they both physical therapists? I don't know if she is, but I think she's like joined the business. Yeah. She started off as a lawyer. Okay. So okay. I don't know what her school yeah. if she got more schooling or not. I know he's like got the same degrees as you. Yeah. Um, and now they're like trying to think about how can we get mothers and husbands and people who work jobs and have kids, how can we get them to just integrate a little bit more movement throughout the day? That's a big thing because yeah. something I see regularly is the examples of athleticism and somebody who is a regular exerciser are these loft a typical person sees these as very lofty things i think a lot of ways like i'm not going to start bench pressing or um use a squat rack or any of those things so i'm not somebody that can get stronger and exercise or what i see a lot is well i i go for three mile walks every single day so i'm healthy and i exercise and being able to find ways i tell my patients every day the best exercise is the one that you'll do Mm. So let's find the way that you can be stressing your muscle tissue enough that you're going to send out those internal stress signals to your body, that your body knows we need to get stronger, we need to lay down more muscle. What is the form of movement that you can be consistent with, that you can fit into your life with all the constraints that you currently have that will fit your preferences, that you'll enjoy, 
what's that form that can get you to that level of exertion and let's apply it widely. Cause I think there is something to be said and there's something like beautiful and spectacular about watching people perform at a really high level, but we need society, society to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And not a lot of people are going to be able to go join that CrossFit gym or start running marathons or whatever it may be. There has to be other ways that we can be kind to our body, that we can exercise regularly, that we can support our aerobic health, our strength and our stability in the confines of not doing that high level of achievement. Right. Yeah. I agree. And he and he makes this great point about that even those elite athletes have a ton of deficiencies mm-hmm. because they're so hyper-focused yeah. on doing the one thing that they can't, like, whatever, touch their toes mm-hmm. or do the crisscross applesauce thing or, 100%. you know, do a deep overhead squat because that's not what their body has been trained to do. They're trained to be swim the 100 meters. Mm-hmm. So their body does that. And so he's he making the exact same points as you, which I think are the most important, is that the the regular person who lives a life that's very busy and hard and mm-hmm. has a lot of challenges and you work till six o'clock and you have to get up at six and you have to feed the kids and all these things. Yeah. How can I just find these sort of micro moments of movement that allow me to just feel a little bit better? So mm-hmm. while I'm watching the TV, okay, I'm watching the TV. What can I do like close to my couch Absolutely. for 10 minutes that might help me feel a little bit better? Okay, great. That's, I can do that. Right. Like I can, I'm watching TV. I get to watch my show. I still get to decompress, but I'll just do like a little couch stretch or get into a deep squat or I'll just sit on the floor, which Mm -hmm. is amazing for us. Cause you're talking about what humans were like designed to do. We were eating and doing meals on the floor and getting up and down from the floor. You would be astounded how many people cannot get up and down from the floor safely by themselves. It's very hard. Um, it's well, amazing. It can be very hard. It can, it can be if you don't do it regularly, mm-hmm. but the person that's been getting up and down from the floor for their whole life at 80 is still going to be able to get Moving. up and down from the floor. And maybe who knows something happens. They had a fall, they broke their hip. If they were just getting up and down from the floor the week before they fell and broke their hip, the chances that I can get them back to getting up and down from the floor now. Great. Very high. If they haven't gotten up and down from the floor in five years, the chances I'm going to make that happen in a course of care that because we're we're limited in our time by insurance in a lot of cases, the chances I can make that happen in that short period of time, tough. Um, something else you said is like the 10 minutes of the TV. I tell my patients all the time about, I call them my microwave exercises. Because mm. if you're anything like me, when you're microwaving something, you're not doing anything else. You're staring <laughs> at the microwave wanting your food to be done. For sure. For sure. How can we turn that into an exercise? Can we turn that into... Um, planks or push-ups on your countertop? Can we turn that into a single leg balance, a tandem balance? Can we turn that into um, heel raises? Like the equipment within your kitchen of stable surfaces that you can use and floor space that you can use is more than enough to turn that into an opportunity to exercise. And so small things like that are how I often get my patients that weren't historically exercisers to build their therapy therapy exercises into their life. Because I say, I know that you are waiting for your coffee to drip for five minutes a day. Mm -hmm. I know that you get up and down from a chair at least five times a day. What if every time you did that, instead of going to the thing that you were going to do, you just did that five more times in a row, you've now just done your sit-to-stands. Right. And so finding ways to build it into your life. And it's something I've heard you talk about a lot in this setting that I'm a big believer of in as well, is when we're making habits, we have to make them actionable. Mm-hmm. We have to make them doable. We have to make them so small they can't fail initially Yes. so that they stay for the long term. And so finding those opportunities for movement 
that are already built into your daily life. And maybe it's not the amount of movement you need to be feeling as good as you want to feel in two months. But if that's what you can commit yourself to doing for the long term, and that just becomes your new lifestyle, it's going to transform your life. So yes, yeah, all that same habit stuff applies to movement as well. Yeah, I mean, and really, like, if you if you if you don't move, like your life is just not gonna it's just not gonna feel good. Yeah. So one of my um, favorite and least favorite conversations to have with patients is when we're assessing their progress, they're going through their course of care. I'm trying to figure out how they're feeling, how they're doing. I'll go back to the list of things that they originally told me were bothersome. And oftentimes I treat a lot of spine dysfunction. So oftentimes sitting is something that people come in and aren't able to do, or standing is something that people come in and they're not able to do for prolonged periods. Like they're just in a lot of pain when they do that thing. Yeah. So like I can only sit for three minutes at a time or I avoid all sitting. I'm not going on any car trips longer than 10 minutes right now because I cannot physically be in the car for longer than that period of time. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, it is. It really, it's very intense. Yeah, very limiting. Um, and so I'll talk to them. We'll be treating them for all have a lot of success. And I'll say, well, how's sitting going? They're like, ugh, still awful. And I said, well, how long can you do it before your body tells you you need to adjust? And sometimes they'll go, hmm, like four hours. I say, absolutely not. I'm not supposed to make that better. You should not be sitting for more than four hours. <laughs> the fact that your body is sending you a signal that you should get up and move at that point in time is so, 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 so valid on behalf of your body. And so I think there is a lot of, I forget what you had said initially to send us on the track, but checking in with like, what are realistic movements, postures, things that we should be doing with our body regularly and what aren't. And let's get rid of that crap right. because like, I'm not going to, if on day one, you come to see me and you say that I code or I am in some sort of desk-based job and my only issue is that I can't sit at my desk and do that for 10 hours in a row, that causes me to have back pain, I will say, I can't change that that causes you to have back pain. Of course Can it you does. load and unload? Yeah. Right, of course it does. <laughs> do you Your mean? body is being so reasonable yeah. and giving you it's pain It's like I'm that. giving you nine and a half hours on the 10th hour, I feel really not good. Right, you should not be doing that. That <laughs> yeah. is not gonna, and, and we can get away with that stuff when our tissue is young. But as our tissue ages, it's kind of nice for me as I'm like move as I'm aging, um, because I love that my body calls me out on the dumb stuff I shouldn't be doing. Right. Like when I'm sitting all pretzeled up and my leg falls asleep and then I have to shake it out. Like, yeah, all of those joints and that nerve did not love being in that position for the two hours that I was watching Real Housewives or that <laughs> I was reading my book. Let's find better ways that I can posture where I can enrich my mind, but also be kind of my body. Like, I'm glad that my body tells me now, hey, that's not cool with me, you yeah. know? There's signals everywhere. Everywhere. And we, yeah. for some reason, we're ignoring them, you know? I, that, was the, that was the hardest part about when I was on the road wrestling all the time was car to plane to car to plane to plane to car to show to uh, back on the car, back on the plane, back on the car. Like, your body... Like the, the, the 15 minute match that I was having four times a week wasn't that hard. Yeah. It was every time I was just sitting like this with, you know, cramped either in a car of three other massive dudes, the same size as me or in a plane where obviously things are very small and I'm not small. And so that's the, that's the worst part, Yeah, you know, cause I'm getting up and down and I'm getting hot and cold and I'm getting in the ring and then I'm trying to wa get warm up. And then, you know, then there's some extracurricular activities, which aren't also good for my body, which I was doing at the time, you know, and all sorts of bad stuff. Like majority of it was just like sitting down a lot mm -hmm. was the worst part about being a professional athlete. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's such a good way of saying it. And transportation is not designed to support 
the musculoskeletal system. Like even just cars, cars drive me crazy because car seats are designed to crash or to pass crash tests and to have their dummies do well on crash tests. And if I want my dummy's head to not fly off on a crash test, I'm going to put the headrest an extra three inches forward to make sure that I don't whip back. Mm. But we hope that the large, 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 large majority of the time that you're in a car or that you're driving a car, you're not crashing. Right. But then, and my car is terrible like this too. The posture I'm in is here. That is so not healthy for my body or tissues. It's designed to pass a crash test. And so something that I love to think about, and I think being a PT has kind of given me little x-ray goggles to move through the world and be like, the environment that I'm in right now, what are its priorities and how it's asking me to move and posture? And are those aligned with what I know is actually going to be healthy and supportive and kind to my body? And so, um, and then if it's not, how can we modify that? Like, can we put a lumbar cushion in your car seat to get you into a more of a neutral spine posture mm. for the hour of commuting that you're doing both ways? Because guess what? Like, I agree, it's really, it's really not nice that your back is hurting you with this commute that you're going to and from work and that that is making you have to take these medications that are impacting these other body systems and whatnot. But like, at the end of the day, is it reasonable that your back's getting kind of angry in that environment? Maybe, maybe what we need to do is we need to go for a 10 minute walk before you get in that car, just so that system's happier going into this thing that's gonna apply stress and strain, you know, and just find those ways to say, what is the world asking of my body right now? What do I know my body needs and how can I find compromises there? Mm. And that's oftentimes not what people want when they come in to see me, but it's what they get when they come in to see me because most of the time that our body is complaining, it's complaining for a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the same reason why you know, sometimes we get anxiety. Right. right? That's like a, a signal. Yeah. Usually the anxiety starts in your body. Oh, my stomach's a little queasy. My heart's pounding a little bit. Okay, maybe I'm about to step into an uncomfortable environment or uh, it's late and I'm walking back to my car after work and I'm yeah. by myself. Like some of these things are happening. Now, some it's like you're, you're worrying about things that may never happen. You're catastrophizing, right? Okay, how can we like take a deep breath, shut that down a little bit, work mm -hmm. through that. But sometimes you're feeling anxious for for good reason. And having a stress response system within the body, like you are alive and well today because all of your ancestors before you had effective stress response systems in their body. Right. If they didn't know how to get uncomfortable and then stress and then have to adapt, we would not be here. Like right. that is necessary. And so I think almost connecting back to the idea of self-love is like listening to your body, listening to what your body is telling you, Finding when the response you're having is maladaptive, you know, finding ways to um, work with your body to say, oh, that thing that I'm fixating on, um, that's not actually something I need to worry about. So I work a lot with like catastrophization of movement or fear avoidance with movement. People will say, uh-oh, when I squat down, my knees hurt and I hear a click and so I don't squat. Mm. And it's like, well, when you squat down, you're loading more heavily, a lot more heavily through your patellofemoral joint. Can your patellofemoral joint actually tolerate the amount of loading you're doing? Maybe we need to build up its tolerance to load a little bit more, but does that mean that we shouldn't load the patellofemoral joint or the fact that you're feeling stress or strain in those tissues is inherently bad or wrong? No, you're loading that tissue more, you feel the strain more, that's good. Your body's giving you information, you're receiving it, you're working with it, you yeah. know? So I think we're not trained to listen to our minds. We're not trained to listen to our bodies from the time that we're young. We're trained to be able to 
ignore those things so that we can do our other tasks. We're trained in first grade. Hey, I need to go to the bathroom. Well, don't go to the bathroom right now because you need to stay here for the rest of, you know, mm -hmm. this class period. And it's important to be able to sit in one place for more than two hours without going to the bathroom. Sure. You know, that's an important life skill. But it's also important to say, I listen to my body and I know what my body is telling me and I know how to act based off of that, you know? Right. And so it's balancing those two things is so is so important. And it's important for our mental as well as our physical. For sure. And it's all it's all connected. Everything is bi-directional. Everything you're going to think Everything about for your body is good for your mental and, and vice versa. It all yeah. goes both ways. I was thinking about um, these sort of micro movements that we're trying to get in throughout the day. And as we were talking, I was thinking about these algorithms that I tell people that they should put into their life, okay. their mental health. Let's hear it. So it's like, if this, then what statement? Mm -hmm. So if you do this, then I do this. Okay. So if, uh, for example, if I start to feel anxious, then I take a few deep breaths. So I've just practiced this into my life. So I know mm -hmm. it's a sort of protocol. Uh, if I walk through the door, then I take a mindful breath, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. So I was thinking about doing it, thinking about that, how you can add that for your sort of micro movements throughout the day. A hundred percent. If I sit for more than one hour, I will stand up and walk two minutes. Yeah. So if this, then what? And I think that could be like the way your, your life has a little bit of rhythm to it. You have these set of protocols that you do no matter what, and you're getting a ton of movement in throughout the day. Absolutely. So maybe you'll feel less shitty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. One, well, something I really like to come to is, and I bet I can already hear you saying the same thing on the end that you work with is um, do it when your body would like it, but before you need it. Mm. Because if I wait to make the postural adjustment until I'm already in four out of 10 back pain, it's going to be a lot harder, even just from a pure um, physiology of the nervous system perspective. Once I have excited a certain neural pathway, it's going to be a lot tougher for me to not excite that neural pathway. That And neural pathways are how we experience everything we experience, including pain, right? Um, can I, so I, I instruct people often on saying, I want you to be really observant. After our evaluation, rarely do I give concrete homework. I just say your homework is to go home and get a better sense of your exact pattern of the pain or the dysfunction you're having. How long am I sitting at my computer before I experience pain? Does it matter what position I'm in? Does it matter what tasks I'm doing at my computer? And if you find that it's with 30 minutes of sitting at my computer that I start to feel pain, and then you start fidgeting, and then in an hour you have to get up and move around. What if at 25 minutes, we did a couple of seated cat cows, we took a deep breath because we realized that we were holding our shoulders up here and we could, and maybe that's an opportunity, yeah, get up, refill your water cup, because mm -hmm. maybe we're also working on increasing hydration or whatnot. Use it before you need it. And at first, those patterns have to be really intentional. So I have people taking out their phones. I say, if your pattern is at one hour, I get the symptom at 50 minutes, you're doing this thing instead. Um, but over time, your body gets it habituates to that process and it gets used to saying, oh, I would never stay in this position for a while. Your internal clock starts saying, it's around 50 minutes, I should get up and move. Right. And so I, I think I'm a big proponent of just building those things into, yeah, daily life so that you just get that movement, you get that postural variation, you get all of that into your life and you get it when your body wants it before it needs it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. That's really good, so. yeah. That's really good. What is um, one of the challenges that you face in your current work <laughs> or people in your field generally also face that you think that is important to know? Um, I 
heard a psychologist say it once. This one I thought was really beautiful. People always say they want change, but they don't want to make changes. They don't want to have loss. Anytime you're going to change something in your life, there was something going on beforehand that's going to have to be sacrificed. Mm. And um, it's taken a lot of growth on my perspective to not make it, not tie any sort of morality to it. It's not right or wrong for you to sit for four hours. Your body's going to like it better if you don't. Your body's going to like it less if you do. You know, find what your priorities are. But if your priority is I don't want to change anything about my lifestyle, you need to fix my back pain. I'm not going to fix your back pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think being able to have those tough conversations where you make people introspect and realize what their actual values and priorities are and decide whether or not they want to actually change. And then on my end, if they're not taking those steps to actually change, even though it feels good when you come see me, because anytime you move your body and exercise, you feel a little bit better. And sometimes I do some soft tissue work, or sometimes I work on your joints and you walk out of here feeling good. I'm not going to keep seeing you every week for the rest of your life because that feels good when you're not making those other changes and steps in your life to set your body up for success. That's not my role. So um, I think reckoning with that aspect of (laughs) the human experience is tough. And it makes me also turn a tough lens on myself to be like, well, when are the times that I say I want something and I'm not actually willing to make the changes and get myself uncomfortable and do the work to get there? So that's really challenging. Mm But I think it's also a beautiful thing. It's just a skill that I need to, that I work hard to develop and need to keep working on developing and a discomfort that you're always going to feel, you know, when you're asking people to take an honest look at their lives. Yeah. But I think a, a, a mark of a really good practitioner is someone who can ask that question and you know when they ask that question, they've done it to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've had coaches like my whole life who are telling me that I need to do these things. You need to do this, this, and blah, 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 blah. And what they're saying is 100% true. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like I want to do it since they're telling me because I know that they didn't do it or yeah. not doing it. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's that's like huge as a coach. There's like a couple things that make a coach or a practitioner or a teacher like a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Like really good at, at, at doing the thing they're doing. And one of them is like being about the things that you talk about, having your words and actions align. Now it's different for, uh, I would say like a sports coach. Like I'm not trying to play major league baseball. Right. But what I am doing is trying to eat well, move well, sleep well, and think well. That's Mm -hmm. literally what I'm trying to get my kids to do. And so I have a hard time seeing the coach who's like really out of shape and doesn't take care of himself. And I know... If you listen to this podcast at all, you know there's like a ton of external factors and internal factors that go into why people are the way they are. So I'm not uh, denigrating him or anything like Mm -hmm. that. But there is a standard that you should have for yourself if you plan to have a standard for the people that you're training and coaching and leading. 100%. And so I think that that question coming from you, someone who's very introspective with their life and takes an honest look at their life like all the time, um, (laughs) then it it has... It has some real truth and uh, some real intensity behind it. So yeah. I think people can see that and receive that. And if they choose to not do that, then, you know, whatever, that's on them. They're choosing a different priority. Then, that's yeah. also really hard because y- you want people to change. 
because what you're trying to tell them is going to make their life better. Yeah. But I can't, I can't inject it into your bones. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. I, I, you have, this is stuff you have to do. You got to do it. Right. And you have to like physically. And I can't emotion. want it for you. No. I can't want it for you more than you want it for yourself. No. And that was hard. And that's where, and I'm so grateful I got this like wake up call that I think I had a hard time very early in my career um, becoming too emotionally invested in my patient's success. Yeah. Because I don't get to make their choices when they get to make their choices. Right. And I can't work harder than they're working at getting themselves better. Now, if they're showing up and they're giving it their all and they are committing themselves to it, then I am going to show up and match that energy because what a special freaking thing yeah. to get to experience when somebody is saying, I am pouring my being into like making this part of myself better. Like, yeah. I love that. That's why I do it. And I have those special patients I mean, on my caseload. that's the nugget right there. It that's... really is. Like, that's, that's the, I will say an hour late at work to do the notes that I didn't do during your session to make the phone calls to get you the resources because like that gives me my purpose, right? Yeah. But it's really hard on the flip side when you say, I know what you need to do. I've promised all this case. I'm pouring my own personal time. For this hour that I'm working with you, I'm not drinking my water. I'm not going to the bathroom. I'm not moving my own body. I'm not doing like, I'm making these personal sacrifices. It's my job. I'm getting paid to do it. But there are sacrifices that I'm making to invest in your progress. And if you're not willing to also make those sacrifices, then you're not honestly coming to this therapeutic alliance and therapeutic relationship. Those are terms that we use a lot in the field is it really does take two to tango and you need to see that both parties are putting the work in. Mm. But on the flip side, also I can see a patient absolutely when they get told by their therapist, well, you need to be doing this much aerobic exercise is going to help you feel better, or you need to be making these postural modifications, or um, the stress that you're holding on to emotionally is physically manifesting. And if you see that those that person that's giving you that advice is not living it in their own life, it feels cheap and it feels unimportant. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually something that is one of my very, very favorite things about what I do is every single day I'm confronted with what you have to do to be kind to your body and to support your body for like health and longevity. And it's so much harder for me at the end of the day to say, I'm tired. I want to go home and watch Real Housewives <laughs> or eat a pint of ice cream or whatever it is I want to do instead of going to this lifting class, this yoga class, instead of going to climb with a friend inside of doing this thing that I know that I should do for my body right now. And the fact that I have told 12 people that day that they need to show up for their body is sometimes what helps me show up for my body. Yeah. And when I took that long, hard look over this past year of like, is this something I want to keep doing? That was one of the things I said, I can't lose that. Like that is so valuable to my life that I'm constantly talking about these ideas because it holds me consistent and accountable in living a better life. And so I'm so grateful for my patients for holding me accountable. And then I think my patients also benefit from me being accountable allows them to be more honest with their self and their accountability. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like living with some deep integrity. Yeah. Because you could not go. Right. And you could say that you went. Yeah. Or that you do these things. But no one would really know except for you. Mm -hmm. And eventually I think it catches up to you. You know, in some sort of way, catches up to you. A hundred percent. Not living in integrity, not matching up your words and your actions. 
Like, especially when you have people's lives at stake, mm-hmm. like they're, you know, their li- it is their lives. It's their lives. It's yeah. their livelihood. Like people's lives are cut extremely short because of the way they move mm-hmm. uh, or don't move specifically, mm-hmm. I guess. And even if you don't think about just lifespan, health span and the contents of what you can do in your life. Yeah. Like I, I think we've talked about Peter Atia. Yeah. yeah. And his, what does he call it? The Centenarian Olympics or the Centenarian Decathlon. Yeah. His book. What was his book? Uh, it doesn't matter. It's, a, it's Yeah. A, I listened to his po- him on a bunch of podcasts talking about his book. So yeah. if you're interested in health span, <laughs> um, get, check out his book. Right. And his podcast is really good and very, good science, very good. scientific. Yeah. Yeah. He has uh, good Sometimes content. I have trouble understanding what he's saying. So I just watch it again and again and again same, and again and again. Same. Yeah. And then eventually I get it. Yeah. But anyways, go ahead. Oh, I forget exactly how I gotten on that top. Oh, the Centenarian Olympics. Like you want to not just live till you're a hundred. You want to still be like for him, he was like, I want to be able to pick up my grandkids when I'm a hundred. I want to be able to get up and down from the floor as I watch my great grandchildren playing on the floor. Like those are things that are important for me to be able to do when I'm a hundred. What do I have to do and live right now to ensure that I not just have that lifespan. I'm not just there. Like, cause he doesn't want to be a blob in a chair at a hundred, right. you know, that's aching through his whole body and can't think straight cause he's on 18 different medications. Mm-hmm. And so I think being confronted with those ideas of like, I need to show up for myself to have good health span, good lifespan is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so lucky that like, that's something that I can't escape thinking about because I'm constantly teaching it, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, my sort of movement routines have sort of adapted over the years. When I first started working out, it was strictly because I wanted to get really jacked. Mm Mm-hmm. Mostly because I was getting hella bullied and I just wanted to get jacked. And it was awesome. Yeah. And it got me in the gym. And the the such a special thing about when you start to exercise or move your body is that you can feel and see changes like, yeah. like almost instantly. And that doesn't happen like in anything. In many else. other spheres of life. Like, definitely no. not with your mental health. Definitely not with like when you're diving into a hard career or you're getting into a relationship, like these things like blossom over time. Yeah. But you guys start moving your body and it's like, oh shit. Like cold, hard progress. Like is immediately. Really cool. And so, yeah. yeah. So I started doing that and then it was like working out for baseball. And then it was like strictly working out to look good in my speedo, mm-hmm. you know, and then I wasn't feeling great. And so I like had to adapt that I was like, okay, I'll, I'll like, suffer a little bit aesthetic so like I can figure out how to manage myself on the road better yeah so I can like still wake up and like not feel awful yeah and then I like and then I stopped wrestling or like my schedule got a little lighter because of COVID and now I've officially stopped like now I like have so many different things that I can try and I feel like my body is like feels and moves better than it ever has before we do a bit of yoga we have like this stretching app I do jujitsu. Yeah. You know, I, we walk a lot. We ride bikes. I'm starting to run now, which I've never been a runner. It's kind of cool that I can, my body can actually adapt to running so quickly. Totally. It's wild. It's wild. And so, yeah. What I'm hearing a couple of things in that, that I think are really cool. Um, thing number one is y- your ability to connect with movement has changed over the course of your life by what you were hoping to get out of movement. Mm-hmm. And so I love that because even when your initial goal is just, I want to get not picked on, movement can help you with that. Mm-hmm. And now your goals with movement, or and then your goal with movement was, I want to optimize my performance as a collegiate athlete, as a professional athlete. You can find movement that can help you with that. Now your goal is, I want to 
like feel good and connect with my fiance. Mm-hmm. Movement can help you get there, you yeah. know? And so really, and I think we, and I was so guilty of this at earlier phases of my life, thought in order to be an exerciser and need to look one specific way, like a silly thing that I used to get very upset about was that I didn't want anybody to know I was going for walks. This is sounds so silly. This is back in high school. <laughs> okay. I didn't want anybody to know that I was going for walks because the reason I was going for walks was because I didn't like to run. Running didn't feel good for my body. But I felt a lot of shame about the fact that I wasn't a runner. And in my head, the only meaningful way to just put some tennis shoes on and get meaningful exercise and be healthy was to be a runner. Hmm. So then I would only walk if I was walking with my dog or if I was walking with a friend. Um, And then I would go on vacations to places and I'd be like, oh, it'd be really nice to go see this thing on foot, you know, to go next to Lake Washington on foot. And I'd say, well, I can't walk. That's embarrassing. I need to go run. So I'd take myself on a run and I wouldn't take in what I was doing. I wouldn't take on this place that I was visiting and whatnot because I was holding myself to a certain standard. My movement that was all just in my head based on my expectations. Well, what I could and should have been doing is I enjoy walking. That doesn't mean it's the only form of exercise I'm going to get. Right. I definitely, it's going to be important for me to get other forms of exercise where I do get to a higher aerobic output. I'm working at a higher percent VO2, like I'm working at a higher level. But if I get joy out of this type of movement, let me find joy in that type of movement. And so I think it um, is important to be honest with yourself and introspective with yourself in the process of finding where movement is and also knowing that there is some form of movement out there, no matter what your priority or goal or whatnot is, there's going to be some form of movement that you can build into your life that will meet you where you're at. And the beautiful part of life is that as long as you're open to it, you have the opportunity to change and adapt and evolve. And so, I mean, nowadays I do run sometimes and I've come to enjoy it, but that shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have been walking back then, you know? So that was one really interesting thing that I heard in your, what you said. I'm trying to remember what the other thing that I noticed was. Oh, I guess finding joy in movement, which you talked about a little bit. So it can meet you where you're at for what your priorities are, but also um, you hear over and over and over, find a way to find joy in movement. And you think it's silly. And I thought it was silly, even when I was telling it to my patients and I was an early PT. And then I started rock climbing and then I started roller skating. And I almost don't notice that I'm exercising when I do those things because I'm just having fun. Yeah. And I used to think that finding joy in movement meant that instead of sitting on the couch and watching Real Housewives, I was on the stair stepper and watching Real Housewives. And temptation (laughs) coupling is important, right? Like that's an important way that you can build that in. That's still great movement. It's still important movement. And it definitely got me to a place where I was taking care of my heart, taking care of my health, taking care of my body. But like, it didn't even occur to me that those other things existed. So I would implore anybody to know I have not found a single person that come come up with a counterexample yet. If they really put their mind to it and they really open themselves up to the process, there is going to be some form of movement that you can find joy in. So make that a priority or make that not even a priority. Make that just a goal of this next year. What can I do in this next year? What can I do in this next month to find some form of movement that I find joy in? Mm-hmm. And then once you start to find joy in it and you're feeling those endorphins that make us all feel good when we exercise, you'll be more active more regularly. Yeah. And then you'll come to find that there are other people who also like that thing. Yeah. And then there's this, like, not that you have to do it with people all the time. Right. Like, it could be a solo activity. That's great. It's beautiful to spend time by yourself. But also it could be a community building activity. 100%. Because maybe you're someone who also maybe wants more deeper friendships. Yeah. And you can, like, there's so many things you can couple around exercise 
like quote unquote exercises, mm-hmm. just tons of things that you can do, right? And it's, it turns into be such a like a beautiful atmosphere. Yeah. Um, people ask me all the time why I go to the gym every day. It's like I fucking like it. Yeah. Like I, it's like, it's a fantastic part. I plan it out every day. Yeah. What I'm gonna do, what time I'm gonna go, what I'm gonna wear, and I like it. Yeah. I enjoy it only because I've been doing it since I was 13. It took that point, and similarly for me when I was like young and first said it like my initial goal of going to the gym was to be skinny like that's silly now my goal of going to the gym is of course all the benefits of movement and whatnot but, like i have a community i have friendships built around this my body feels so good when i do this there'll be times when i was in grad school and i was studying for an exam and i was like i know that cognitively my focus is not where it needs to be right now and i'm feeling some stress hormones what's something productive i can do with that i'm gonna do eight minutes a hit right now because i can Burn that anxious energy that's letting me not be able to tune into what I'm supposed to be studying right now. And the clarity that I'm going to have after getting my heart pumping is going to help me bust this work. So sometimes my motivation for moving wasn't even the necessarily immediate like health benefit of it. It was like, I know I need to focus better. This is going to help me focus better. Mm-hmm. I used to bike to sh- school when I lived in Chicago. I'd bike down the Lakefront Trail. I hated taking the train. I would get motion sick on the train. If I took the buses, it took twice as long. So I biked to school because I wanted to sleep in (laughs) and I didn't want to throw up on the train, you know, but then turns out that was amazing. So finding also other ways to challenge yourself to say, how can movement aside from decreasing risk of all cause mortality inside and aside from supporting your muscular health, skeletal system, your neurological system, every organ system, aside from all that good stuff, what are other things that you want? Do you want a community? Do you want to do better in school? Do you want to sleep better at night? Like, what are your other goals? There's a big chance that finding some type of movement will be able to help you towards that goal as well. Yeah. Yeah, I've found that, like, because I talk about four fundamentals, eating well, moving well, sleeping well, and thinking well. Yeah. I found that if you if you start with moving, you're going to want to do the other three, yeah. like, so much more. Even though I think sleeping is probably the most important one. Because if you, if you don't sleep, you don't have energy. If you don't mm-hmm. have energy, you, you just you can't do shit. Mm-hmm. If I don't have energy, I'm not going to choose the right foods. If I don't have energy, I'm definitely not going to get the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And I, if I don't have energy, I'm definitely not thinking well because I have no clarity of mind. So if, you, if you're going to – like there's a pre-foundation, it starts sleeping. But right. let's just say you're going to start with a movement pattern and then you start building that into your life very slowly like we've been talking about. Like my goal is to do one jumping jack this whole week. Mm-hmm. Great. Fucking crushed it. Yeah. What's week two? You know, and you build from there. Now, six months, you do 30 jumping jacks seven days a week. Mm-hmm. That's fucking sweet, mm-hmm. right? But when you start feeling like you're taking care of yourself movement-wise, you're like, oh, I should probably, like, make a few better food choices. Yeah. You know, because you're like, oh, I'm, do- I'm putting all this work in. Totally. Like, and my body feels better. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe what? Okay, cool. I'll just take out, like, I won't eat dessert once this week. Right. Sounds good. And then you just start to make these little habits, like, Oh, I feel Those positive feedback. You no, know? and then I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning and I'm gonna do, I'm doing a bike ride with my buddy. Okay, so maybe I'll get to bed a little bit earlier tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, you start, and then you start. Oh, like all of a sudden, I have this like clarity of mind. Like when I'm at the gym, I have so many podcast ideas. I'm like, write it down because I just, yeah. get a, you know, you have less less brain fog. You're thinking about more things. You're thinking like, how can I take care of myself more actively? So now you have a better, positive, more outlook on life. Like all of these things sort of domino. But if you start with the foundational layer, I think is sleep, but we'll just move away from that for now mm-hmm. and say okay movement and then you want to do all of these other things and now you've built this like st- deep foundation of being a person and then when you inevitably get hit by whatever the setback is the challenge 
the loss, the death, the heartbreak, mm -hmm. the lost your job, you can't pay for your car note. Like now you have a foundation of like, okay, I, I got my life figured out. I can, do, I can handle this thing. Mm -hmm. Like I can get to it. Like, cause I've done all of these other things. I have this evidence that I'm a very capable human being. Yeah. I have like a, a found, like I have a booklet of evidence that I'm like, can handle shit. Mm -hmm. You know, I did this. I got myself from here to here. Like I'm this type of person I can handle. Yeah, it fucking sucks yeah. that I lost my job or I got fired or I just, my partner broke up with me. It fucking absolutely sucks. And we can totally admit that, but you're a capable enough person to overcome it slow incrementally, just like you built all these other foundational steps in your life. So I think that's important when people think, when people think about movement, cause it's just like, oh, I'm, I don't want to be an exercise person. Yeah. You're not being an exercise person. Yeah. You know, you're being a person who takes care of themselves because Absolutely. you have you have an outlook, an optimistic future about your life. You know, and it go it falls in line with the self love thing we talked about earlier. Absolutely. Right. You're like picking yeah. little parts of yourself that you say, oh, like, damn, my arm looks pretty good today. Yeah. Workout, whatever, yeah. whatever choice you're making. Like someone made a comment in jujitsu today that my arms look good, and I got I'll receive that compliment even though I feel <laughs> yes. like I look small all the time. <laughs> you got to with. And I think it brings up an excellent point that. There's a lot of different spheres in your life where you can do that, where you can prove to yourself how much you can do and how strong you are and how resilient you can be. And I think that exercise is a really cool way that you can do that mm -hmm. as well, because like it is objectively hard when I want to want to lift X heavy thing. And I'm looking at that barbell over me before I am going to do my bench press. And I'm seeing, I felt the weight that I put on the side of it. Mm -hmm. And then I move it. Like I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. I just proved to myself that I can do hard things. And I'm looking at a wall I'm about to climb and I see where the top that is and I scary. see where my body is right now. I can do hard things. Yeah. And so it also does so immediately give you that positive reinforcement of like, look what you can do, you know? And, and I think that's a really special thing because again, not many things. Well, a lot of things in life actually can give you this if you, find the lens to look at it through right but i think the exercise is one where the lens is really easy you can look at this physical thing and you when you see yourself on the other side of it you now just built so much efficacy in yourself yeah and that's really cool yeah that i mean that's why when i when i'm speaking to young men and young boys specifically about how to cultivate this real healthy masculinity in their life instead of this other whatever bullshit that is like in talked about today, like real healthy masculinity, like start with something in the gym, like start with some sports, like you're a young man, mm -hmm. like this is how you learn how to handle things, mm -hmm. how to have uh, cooperative relationships, how to be a teammate, how to get your ass kicked and still show back up mm -hmm. and not throw your equipment and how to control your emotions, all of these things. That, that's the, the, the power of being a real, having real healthy masculinity. You know, not whatever, whatever. Anyways, that's a no, I, I always love those time. asides. I always love those asides. But uh, so that, I think that's super important because exactly what you're talking about, you know. Um, and so, yeah. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Dr. Rachel McGuire. What was your biggest takeaway from that episode? What idea resonated with you most deeply that you can start implementing into your life today? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. 
But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by joining our community on Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. And there's many tiers to pick from, so click the link in the show notes and see which one might work best for you. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.